This story is called After the World Broke. Glamora. Deep in the strategic hole of Pinnacle sits a club so dank, so bumpin', so pacifier-suckingly rave that your pituitary glands will send an apology letter to your gonads for the major hormone dump that happens from simply speaking its name. It's known simply as Club G. On any other night, there would be an enormous pink boot of neon casting its light onto the dirty streets of Pinnacle. But tonight is no ordinary night, and instead of winking, the pink boot is vomiting onto itself as its eyes dilate slowly. Tonight was the 16th anniversary of the Turtlin's centennial breeding season. You see, Turtlin have extremely long lifespans and only breed every 100 years. In fact, every Turtlin breeds on the very same night. One moon month or so later, they all lay their eggs on the same night. A few more moon months later, and they all hatch on the same night. And 16 years later, each and every Turtlin boy and girl reaches the legal drinking age on the exact same night. Just as the seagulls, sea life, and even the mighty ocean itself decimate the Turtlin population upon birth, so too does hard drugs, pubescent stunts, and of course the fatal weight of peer pressure as they party the night away in a sweet, sweet stew of hormonal bliss. The club bounces as Be My Lover by LaBouche plays at an ungodly high decibel level. At the back of the club, atop the mighty party pyramid, sits the ruler herself, Glamora. Glamora stands atop her throne wearing a somewhat revealing astronaut suit. With a large hose, she sprays 200% alcohol laced with LSD onto the screaming and cheering young Turtlin. When the hose has been emptied, Glamora pulls a large handle hanging above the peak of the pyramid. A blast of white powder flies from the pyramid, covering the partiers like battered shrimp. Glamora lets out a sigh as she smiles and looks upon her kingdom. She pulls a checklist from somewhere and begins to mark off some of the items. Sour cream luge, check. Halfling toss, check. Jeff Goldblum, double check. Glamora takes one last satisfying look before she sneaks away behind the curtains of the stage. She makes her way into her office and removes her earplugs. She sees the white pendant sitting on her desk and sighs. This time her sigh is not one of satisfaction. She quickly changes her outfit. She now dons a somewhat revealing, black feathery outfit, complete with a large mask made to look like a crow. She slowly picks up the pendant, stares at it for a moment, and speaks. I owe you one, Jay. Glamora sneaks her way through the back corridors and into a large room in the back of the club. This room is separated from the noisy Turtland party, and the figures inside are, likewise, silent and mysterious. Glamora steps to the back of the line of masked figures. One of the figures has a green mask covering his entire head, and he wears a yellow zoot suit. Another has longish red hair. The mask appears as a facial deformity. Luckily, the person inside is intelligent, outgoing, and humorous. He seems to have outlived what the doctors expected. He struggles to fight for his acceptance in the public school system, despite being a very accomplished student. Though Rocky endures ridicule for his appearance, 
he finds love and respect from his mother's biker gang family and even experiences his first love. Interesting fact, did you know that Eric Stoltz, who plays the lead in the film Mask, was originally cast to play the role of Marty McFly in the Back to the Future series? (laughs) What a different world that would have been. I liked the part where that one guy says, I think he took your wallet. I think he took his wallet. You know, a lot of people don't like the second one as much, but I think it's okay. Uh-oh! Where'd Glamora go? Glamora and Count Vondrell were the last two players on the poker table. Nobody expected them to be the two that remained. The large crowd that gathered around the table had placed most of their bets on Dumplin', the mysterious gamesman. But little did they know that Dumplin' was in fact a chair which someone had carelessly draped their cape and mask over while they went to make one major whiz. The two sat across from one another, Glamora, known simply as the Crow, and her opponent, Count Vondrell. The disguises worn by the two made it difficult for them to read each other. Little did either of them know that the other had no idea how to play poker. The pair eyed one another like superfan Sean eyes newly released Bigfoot footage, baselessly confident and prepared to change everything. Lucky number seven, Glamora exclaims as she snaps a four of clubs and a three of hearts onto the table. How about some double trouble? The Count asks as he tosses a five and seven of spades across the table. Nice try, small fry. Glamora throws the rest of her hand at the Count's face. We've only just begun, the Count states as he gathers the cards and stuffs them down the front of his pants. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, Glamora quips as she does that trick where she pretends to remove her thumb. The audience's mouths are agape as they glance back and forth between the two players. Occasionally, one of the audience members looks to the ref for some guidance. Unfortunately, none of them look long enough to realize that the ref is just an old jukebox someone carelessly slung a letterman jacket onto. Both players begin to place more chips into the pile. I guess you're the ugly duckling, the Count states as he throws a hefty handful of chips on the pile. Glamore pauses and slowly looks up at the Count. All or nothing, she states as she pushes her pile of chips to the center of the table. The crowd gasps as their heads shift towards the Count. He raises his chin into the air and pushes his chips to the center as well. All or nothing, the Count reaches into his satchel and pulls out an object. Plus one, he states as he slams a large and ornate lantern onto the pile. He leans over the table, staring at Glamora smugly. Glamora contains her grin as she sees the lantern. How predictable, she thinks. Glamora cleans her teeth with her tongue. Deal, she states as she places the white pendant from her pocket onto the table. The room is silent. Both players reach into the Count's trousers and pull out a single card. Both place their card face down on the table. Same time, they speak in unison. Their heads begin to nod at the same time. Three, two, one. Both players flip their cards over. The pair stare in disbelief. They look at each other, and Glamora slumps in her chair, defeated. The crowd erupts. She had drawn the one of loser, 
and he had drawn an old receipt, and despite the fact that they were clearly not playing poker anymore, and that no other rules had been agreed upon, it was clear to the audience who had won. They begin to cheer and lift the mysterious gamesman in his chair. Glamora stares with her mouth open at the pendant and lantern sitting on the table. Everyone in the room is so excited they all accidentally do the entire Macarena. After three minutes and fifty-one seconds, the room is quickly and awkwardly emptied. Glamora sits staring at the empty space on the table where the goods used to be. Jay, I'm sorry. Back in the main hall of Club G, in the triple VIP room, sits the 16-year-old T-pop star, Dino Girl. Dino Girl pulls the IV of peppermint schnapps out of her arm. Ah, this place is dead. Reggie, I'm ready to go. She looks around the room and then back up to one of her bouncers. Where's Reggie? The orc shrugs. Okay, then you're Reggie now. What time does my next party start, Reggie? The orc pulls out a schedule. Still got a few hours, Miss Girl, he says. Oh my god, she exclaims. I have to get out of here. She turns to the two-headed creature beside her. Listen, Jeffs, it's been good seeing you, but I'm gonna go. Dino Girl begins to leave with her bouncers. The creature looks surprised. Uh, but I, uh, I thought I, uh, 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 but Dino Girl is already gone. As soon as she steps out of the VIP room and into the main nightclub, pubescent male turtlins start slinging themselves at her. Literally. Most of the young turtlins can't help but leap towards her. Her three bouncers pull out baseball bats and start slamming homers with the turtlins' shelled bodies. Dino Girl makes her way throughout the nightclub, making sure to stop every so often to lean backwards on a railing or bend over to pick up some trash in a seductive manner. But eventually she makes her way into a part of the club she had not seen before and noticed a room labeled NVIP Room. She can't help but peer in. Inside, she sees a thin turtlin girl staring at the wall. The girl has a pair of thick glasses, a bowl cut, large lips, and, a, and her row of bottom teeth are jagged and narrow. Oh my god! Dino Girl exclaims. The girl, surprised, turns toward Dino Girl and then downward, embarrassed. Dino Girl notices the girl's dress is tattered with several long threads hanging off of it. Oh, that's... That's not what I meant, Dino Girl says as she steps into the room. It's just, like, why are you here instead of out there partying? The girl shrugs. Dino Girl sits next to her. Listen, it doesn't matter what you look like or how you dress. There's no standard, no right or wrong. Everyone's beautiful. Why don't you come out of the room with me? Dino Girl gestures her elbow towards the girl. The girl wraps her arm around Dino Girl's elbow as they approach the doorway. Dino Girl looks at both of her bouncers and winks. She's with us now. The two orcs nod. The pair step out of the room. The girl looks up at Dino Girl and adjusts her glasses. My name is Wendy. The two walk into the loud club. Dino Girl looks back at her. I don't care. Dino Girl then grabs the loose thread hanging from Wendy's dress as she pushes her into the crowd. Wendy spins into the crowd with nothing but a shell on. Everyone stares, some laugh and some cheer. Wendy stands, shocked, covering herself. 
Dino Girl is bent over in laughter. She has to hold her stomach to keep from tumbling over. Wendy turns a deep red as she runs into the restroom. Dino Girl can barely stand. She makes her way through an emergency exit, and there she collapses into the dark alleyway, laying on her back, laughing. After a solid minute, she looks up at her bouncer. Okay, okay. Is it time for the next party yet, Reggie? She questions. She looks up to see a lone bouncer. What the heft? Where do the Reggies keep going, new Reggie? The orc stares at Dino Girl, his eyes wide. Quit staring at me and help me up. Dino Girl attempts to rock back and forth to roll off of her shell. Reggie, what is your deal? Dino Girl notices Reggie is grabbing at his neck. His face is beginning to turn blue. She looks down at his feet. His toes are just barely touching the ground. He begins to point violently behind Dino Girl. What? What's happening? She attempts to turn herself around, but is unable to see behind her. She feels someone grab her by the back of her shell's collar and drag her. What? Who's there? Who's there? As she disappears into the dark alley, her screams echo through the streets. Across town, not long after that, Count Vondrell's guests begin to arrive. Fancy Winterbottom, the unicorn playwright, Halifax Trudgenary, the ogre mogul, and of course, Pinnacle's favorite son, DJ Scratch and Sniff, just to name a few. To top it all off, the restaurant where the party was held was no other than the Broken Dam, a restaurant sitting atop an old dam that was so fancy they actually pumped raw sewage through a channel in the center of the dining area. Because as we know, there's nothing more high class than choosing to live in gaudy and disrespectful poverty. I don't even use a cell stone anymore, said Fancy Winterbottom. I feel like it's just an excuse to detach myself from reality, you know. DJ Scratch and Sniff nods knowingly. Fancy Winterbottom then wipes his mouth with the corners of an elaborate oil painting and then throws it on the floor. It's then quickly picked up by a goblin that scurries from the base of a trash can. So when's this seance going to get started? Fancy questions. We're just waiting for... The count is interrupted by a knock at the door. Oh, the final guest must be here! He exclaims. As he opens the door and peers at his guest, his eyebrows raise and his jaw drops. Oh, Dino Girl, you look... terrible! Standing in the doorway is Dino Girl, only now her skin, her skin seems to sag off of her. She stammers and then speaks. Oh, uh, that's just the turtling menopause. It hits you like a Shyamalan twist. Dino Girl says as the flesh from one of her shoulders slaps onto the ground. Oh. Count Vondrell pauses. Well, I suppose we're ready to begin... Uh, gather round, everyone. The partygoers gather around a large table. They all hold hands as Count Vondrell removes from his cloak and places on the table an intricately designed lantern. Dino Girl eyes the lantern as she begins to stand. Please, Dino Girl, I'll handle the proceedings tonight, Count Vondrell says. Dino Girl sits back down, annoyed. Count Vondrell begins to wave his hands as he tightly closes his eyes. Spirits of the underworld, I request from thee. Please, grant us communication with those who have been lost. I sacrifice to thee, 
Count Vondro reaches into a worn sack beside him and pulls out a bag of Funyuns. A valuable relic from a lost era, Vondrell exclaims. He tosses the Funyuns toward the lantern. To the shock and surprise of the attendees, the bag begins to hover above the now-glowing lantern. Fancy Winterbottom can't help but pull his, ho his hooves towards his face, frightened. When this happens, the room turns dark, but for an occasional crack of lightning. Reform the circle! Vondrell screams. Fancy is shocked and frozen. DJ Scratch and Sniff reaches past Fancy and grabs the hem of Vondrell's cape. The room begins, begins to fill with wind, pouring in from a large broken window. Suddenly a buzzing noise begins to fill the room. Millions of bees begin to fill the small dining area. All at once they begin to cover Fancy as he is lifted into the air. Fancy's muffled screams can faintly be heard over the loud buzzing. The mass of bees begin to float back out of the broken window with Fancy Winterbottom. The mass grows smaller and smaller as they disappear into the night. Spirits! Vondro pleads. Forgive us! We did not mean to offend you. Please connect us with the afterlife. We beg you! Halifax, the ogre mogul, quickly speaks. Please, spirit! I wish to speak to my mother. Is she okay on the other side? After a moment of only the sound of wind and lightning, the Funyuns begin to disappear. Ah, uh, hello? A voice echoes from the lantern. Mother, is that you? Halifax screams. Um, yeah! But, uh, uh son, I've got grave news! You must travel to the High Realm! I'm already in the High Realm, Mother, Halifax replies. Oh, that's, that's great! Well, I need you to do something very important! Anything, Mother. You must travel to Jaminko's Adventure Emporium. In the main office, you'll find a shelf. On this shelf, encased in glass, you will find a strange black box. Halifax interrupts. A ward? A magical conduit? No, shut up! I mean, no, my son, shut up! It's the lost blooper reel of Golden Girls. It's the fabled footage of B. Arthur having an enticing wardrobe malfunction. Obtain it! Place it into the lantern! Halifax is silent for a moment, then speaks. But why do you need that, Mother? The voice retorts. And Mama gets real lonely in here. Suddenly the room brightens as Dino Girl jerks the lantern off of the table. The wind and lightning cease instantly. What's the meaning of this? Halifax questions. Dino Girl reaches behind her and peels away the shell on her back. She slings it over her head and it lands with a crack on Halifax's large dome. You're not Dino Girl! Count Vondrell exclaims. Halifax collapses his head pouring blood onto the floor. The green figure turns around to face Vondrell. The name's Philp Darksilver, and I'm taking these Funyuns. Philp, now cloaked in black, stands in front of the entrance to the cave. He can faintly hear screams and twisted metal music being played. He takes a deep breath and begins into the cave. At first, the cave is filled with bones, some animals, many humans, and elves. He doesn't see any goblins, but that doesn't reassure him. 
As he travels deeper into the cave, he begins to see bodies hanging by their wrists from the walls. It's hard to tell which are still living. The deeper he goes, the louder the music gets. One song ends and another begins. Now, running with the devil, blares through the cave. Philp spots a hooded figure sitting on a long workbench. The room is filled with cages. In each cage is a creature Philp has never seen before, demons and monsters that snarl as he passes by. When he gets closer to the figure, he can see that they are painting merwomen with skulls for heads on an old guitar. The figure's head bobs with the beat of the song. Is it true? Philp quickly says. Can people come back? For good? The figure removes his hood to reveal a bald head and long beard. Jawsy. Jawsy examines Philp. Philp removes his backpack and pulls out the lantern. Jawsy looks at it with a smirk, then back at Philp. Yeah, he confirms. Jawsy eyes the Funyuns in Philp's bag. Hey, you gonna eat those? Petite. Petite sits across from a large, handsome centaur. Her face is red as she laughs. Petite attempts to talk through her laughter. And then, and then, uh, B. Arthur turns around and her breasts has just popped out and, uh, I, I guess, I guess you have to see it, Abe. It's, it's really funny. Petite takes a deep breath as the other centaur chuckles. Petite, you are truly a delight. Tell me, what do you think of the broken dam? Petite looks around. It's interesting, Abe. I mean, I don't think I've, I've, I've ever been anywhere that actively pumps raw sewage through it. Abe looks down lovingly at the stream of brown and black slop that steeps beneath his chair. Yes, there's truly something decadent about sipping a vintage Bordeaux while human excrement slides past you without a care in the world. Petite lets out a laugh. <laughs> you're, you're a strange guy, Abe. Is that a bad thing? He questions. Sometimes strange can be charming. The two smile at one another. Are we ready to order? The waiter asks. Uh, actually, do you have a vegan menu? Petite asks. The waiter looks at Petite for a moment. No, ma'am, we don't. Oh, well, what kind of vegan options do you have? Petite questions. <sighs> I believe I saw an old potato someone left behind. Maybe that would be more to your liking, the waiter says saucily. Petite stares at the waiter, then back at Abe, her mouth somewhat agape. Abe locks eyes with Petite, and then looks at the waiter with his mouth agape. I'll have the suckling pig. He then gives the waiter a smile and a nod as he hands him the menu. Abe then turns his attention to two mice sword fighting with toothpicks on a big stinker floating down the sewage way. I think I'm going to use the restroom, Petite says as she begins to stand. You're going to miss the show! Abe says as he gestures to the two mice. Abe quickly grabs Petite's wrist. You're not leaving, are you? He questions. No, Abe, I'm just going to the restroom. Let go of me, Petite says. Abe begins to get frantic. You know, there are lots of people that would love to be out on a date with me. Petite's nostrils start to flare. Let go of me, Abe. You're hurting me. Abe continues. 
I spent a lot of money bringing you here, and you're embarrassing me. Petite jerks her hand away and shouts, I said let go! Abe tumbles out of his chair and lands on his side in the stream of sewage. Petite is frozen. Abe slowly stands up, towering over Petite and covered with filth, furious. Abe reaches out, grabbing Petite by the collarbone. Petite, still shocked, winces. The staff and patrons of the restaurant avert their gaze. Petite grabs at Abe's wrist as she, as she is pulled towards the exit. Suddenly, the sound of a tray hitting the floor echoes through the restaurant. Everyone's eyes look towards a lone busboy who stands in the doorway. A silver platter at his feet, he removes the busboy hat as dark hair falls onto his shoulders. Bill? Petite questions. He stares angrily at the centaur. Get your paws off her, you damn dirty Abe! Bill begins to run towards the massive centaur. As he runs, he begins to spin rapidly. Each time he turns, he makes sure to lock eyes with a scowl with the beast crushing Petite's shoulder. When he is about 15 feet away from the pair, Bill leaps into the air, maintaining his spin. He throws out his foot. He can feel his heel whipping through the air. Bill rockets towards Abe. Heel first, over his shoulder, past Petite, past their table, and straight through a plate glass window. The top of Bill's head catches the upper part of the frame. This sends his body tumbling backwards, limply, as he falls from the enormous dam. Gah! Quickly, Petite thrusts her palm into Abe's nose with a loud crunch. She bends deeply over her left side and delivers a bomb to his liver that causes him to double over in pain. Petite runs over to the now-broken window and dives through. From a distance, the two dots descending from the dam get closer and closer. Two splashes can be heard, one after the other. Then the water is still. For several minutes, the lake at the bottom of the dam is quiet. Only the sound of toads, crickets, and the occasional duty rat sword fight can be heard. Suddenly, on the opposite side of the lake, a splash and a gasp rings out. Petite drags Bill's body into the mud, with what little energy she has left. Bill? Oh God, Bill? Petite is frantic. He isn't breathing. Petite starts to press his chest firmly. She places her lips on his and breathes out. Still nothing. She presses his chest even harder. She again breathes into his mouth. Then she notices a small smile on Bill's face. What? She exclaims. Bill's eyes barely open as they point towards Petite. Now try it with your boob. Petite, relieved, can't help but smile. Bill, you little... She begins to punch at Bill's body as he covers up and laughs. <laughs> From a distance, Bill's laugh echoes throughout the lake. The two dots sit in the mud. They are illuminated by the two moons. The moons are bright tonight. Neither had shined so bright in a long time. At Petite's apartment, Bill steps out of the shower, no longer covered in mud. Oh, jeez, Bill! Petite shouts as she averts her gaze. Bill looks down to see that he has left the shower completely nude revealing his Wangus, as well as his several Wangus-themed body modifications. Oh, sorry. Bill scurries back to put on his clothes. And don't get any funny ideas, either. You're going to sleep here on the couch, and I'm going to sleep in the other room in my bed, Petite says matter-of-factly. Right, I can do that, Bill says as he sits on the old couch. The two stare awkwardly at each other for a moment. Well, good night. Petite says. 
Petite, Bill says. Do you ever think about, I mean, do you ever wonder if... No, Bill, Petite interrupts. Oh, well, it's just something I gotta say. It's just, you know, I've been thinking a lot, and I'm, I'm not a smart guy, you know. There are a lot of things I don't know. And I just, I know I hurt you, and I'm sorry. And I know, I know I want you to be happy. Bill looks up at Petite. Petite can't help but stare at him and think about how much has changed. Are you? Bill questions. Happy, I mean. Petite turns away. Good night, Bill. Petite blows out the candle, and the room goes dark. Bill lies on the couch, unable to sleep. He turns his body over and over, searching for comfort. Frustrated, he throws his arms up over the side of the couch. His hands hit something. Bill sits up and pulls a package wrapped in brown paper from between the wall and the couch. He reaches into one open end of the package and pulls out a framed picture. An illustration of Petite and Cyril when they visited the glass trees on Giftsmas Day. He reaches into the package and pulls out more pictures. Each are of Cyril and Petite together. Bill stares at the smile on Petite's face. Bill returns the package and stands at the window. He looks out into the night sky. There are thousands, millions of stars. When he was young, Bill's mother would always point to her favorite star. He was never sure he was looking at the right one. He looks up at the sky and tries to find it now, but there are too many. But he still tries. The next morning, Petite steps out into her living room, and it's empty, except for a lone piece of paper sitting on the couch. She picks it up and reads, Der Petit went to find er happy. Bill. The quest for adventure. Oh